All right, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 25. Now, over the last few weeks, uh, my daughter Jane has been uh, saying to me that if you find any monies lying around the house, they belong to her. And she's been toting around a handful of change that, that she's picked up from us, like quarters, nickels, dimes, um, and, and just walking around and dreaming what she's going to do with it. The other day she came up to me, she holds out, it was like two quarters and three nickels. And she's going, is this enough to buy a crown? And it's like, not in today's economy, not, not, not even at the dollar store. Now, if you're worrying about her, she's, she's got a crown, she's all right, she's just trying to have extra. But maybe, like, you've been at a kid's birthday party, and grandma and grandpa, they throw a cash into a card, and the kid opens it up, and what does the kid start doing? They start talking about, here's how I'm going to spend this money. They, they've got the plans made for that money before they even actually have the card fully open, before they read the card. Maybe you've come into unexpected money. It, it, it doesn't happen often, but maybe it does. And you start going, okay, how am I going to use this? Like in your mind, you start filling the shopping cart with this money. Now last week, Greg kicked off our series called The Master's Money, which is based off the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And in this parable, three servants are given money by their master. And a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. And so when Jesus tells us this parable, it's not just to entertain us, it's to teach us something important. And so we're going to start in verse 14. It says, or Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Now, last week, Greg introduced this series with this, this teaching on the theology of ownership, which is, um, and there's an important word in verse 14. It's this word, his, that, that all of the money, the possessions that the master entrusts to these servants belongs to him, that the servants are simply entrusted with it. They steward it. They don't own it. It's going to go back to them. And so in this, Greg brought this out. Jesus is telling us that everything we have has been given to us by God, but ultimately it, it goes back to him. Now, to illustrate the theology of ownership, here's a really simple way to do it. Let's everybody, let's close our eyes. Don't worry, nobody's going to come up and hit you in the head or anything. Just close your eyes. What do you see? Nothing. Take it all in. Enjoy it. That's everything you own. Isn't it marvelous, right? Now you can open your eyes. Some of you are like, I wasn't closing my eyes. But now look and see. This is everything that God owns. That, that everything you can see with your eyes beyond what you can see ultimately belongs to God. And it's difficult for us to think this way, but Greg brought out this point. When we start understanding this and seeing things this way, we begin to understand what the Bible talks about money and possessions, and it's easier to accept. And so in our minds, we, we kind of have to transfer the car title, the, the deed to the house, our investment portfolio, our, our savings account, everything we have over to God. Now, in the parable, each servant is entrusted with an amount of money according to their abilities. And so we hear about the guy who received one talent, and we feel bad for him, like, ah, poor guy, he only received one, this guy gets five. But the thing is, receiving one talent is not a small amount. That's the equivalent of at least half a million dollars. 
The master just knows that this one talent servant isn't as capable of producing as much as the five talent servant. But the fact that the master gives him one talent tells us that the master knows he's capable of producing something. Now, regardless of the amount each one received, each servant has to decide, what am I going to do with my master's money? And so starting in verse 16, it says, immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And so there's two different ways these servants use their master's money. Two of them go out, and they they kind of put it to work. And then one guy, he goes off, and he digs a hole in a field, and he he puts it there. And, And there were no formal banks in, in Israel at this time. And so this was pretty common. Like, you'd be like, okay, I got to keep my valuables safe, make sure nobody's following you. You go out to a field, you dig your hole, you put it there, cover it up, and you leave. This was a normal practice. Now, Jesus says the master goes off on a journey, but he returns. And so in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. And so obviously, the, the review goes well. Like, it's going, you've done a good job. You've, you've, um, you've pleased me with what you've done. And in a similar way, the two-talent servant comes back, hears two talents, and he hears the same thing from his master. And so both servants, they act industriously. They earn a return on their entrusted amount. And the fact that the the master says the same thing to both of them shows us that it's not that you you have to hit the the five-talent return in order to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What it is is this. It's that you're faithful in using what you've been given. That's what the master was looking at. Now, what does the guy who hid his talent in the dirt hear? What do you think he hopes to hear? Well, it says, The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. Like, have you ever talked to your boss that way? So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And his master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. I don't know how your job reviews have gone, but if you're walking out of one where somebody's saying you're evil and you're lazy, it's, it's not going too well. And like, you don't need to go to a Bible commentary to go, okay, this guy missed it. He, he got it wrong. He misjudged the situation. And the servant, he simply buried his master's money in the ground, also that when his master came back, he could dig it back up and go, here, you have what is yours. But the way that the master responded to the two previous servants tells us what the master was expecting from his servants, that they would produce um, something to hand back to him, that, that they were to trade and invest with it. They were to produce a profit. And the servant who received one talent, he's not reprimanded for failing to reach a certain amount. He's reprimanded because he did absolutely nothing with what he'd been given. He wasted the opportunity. Like, like, consider this. If the master just wanted it to stay exactly as it was, he didn't have to hand it to the servant. He could have gone off, dug the hole, and buried it himself. And so the fact that he gave it to the servant tells us he was expecting something. Now, 
What is Jesus saying to us in this parable? Because there's something we're, we're supposed to take away from this. And so here's one. In the same way that the master gave each servant money depending on their ability, you have to understand that God has given you many things. And this, 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 this is focusing on money primarily, this series, but it, it goes beyond just money. He's given you gifts and ability and possessions and family and where you live, and we could keep going. And so we have to understand this, that whatever you have, God has given you, and God believes you can be faithful with it. God knows you can be faithful with it. And so it's not what we receive that matters most. What matters most is what we do with what we've received. And the point of this parable is this, that that God has given us many things and we're to use these things to produce something for when he returns. That we're to be about our master's business, to produce something profitable for his return. And just like this master returns in, in this parable, Jesus is going to return and, and he wants to see that we've produced something. Now, is Jesus going to be like, okay, how much money did you make for me while I was gone? Is Jesus trying to store up money in his bank accounts? No, that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at. But Jesus is saying, use what you have for a purpose. And what Jesus wants to see when he returns is people, souls that will live forever. And, and, and he commands us in Matthew chapter 28, go out and make disciples of all nations. And so what Jesus wants to see us producing while we wait for his return is to, be, is to make disciples, who can make disciples, who can make disciples, to have those people ready for his return. And so the question is this, this is what we should be asking Where am I putting what God has given me? Am I about my master's business or am I burying what he's given me? Now, the the question we're going to ask is this. What does it look like to put what God has given us to work in 2022? What does it look like to bury what God has given us in 2022? Now, like most of us, I doubt we're going out and burying our stuff in fields. Maybe you're old school and you're like, ah, I don't trust the banks. I've, you've got it stored under your mattress or you've got a field somewhere out where you keep your stash. But most of us aren't doing that. But we take what God has given us, his wealth, and we, we bury it and we, we hide it in other things. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, please understand, Jesus is not saying that you're not to use what God has given you to meet your earthly needs because we need food, we need shelter. God is not saying, I I want you to be be completely miserable in your life either, that he gives us good gifts. He's not condemning having a savings account either to kind of look towards the future But here's the thing, Jesus' point in this is that we're not to focus, make our primary goal in life to be collecting material wealth and possessions. But this is often where we will hide what God has given us. We bury what God gives to us for, for kingdom purposes into things like nicer cars, bigger homes, phones, vacations, hobbies, entertainment subscriptions, savings, accounts and, and just things that just kind of bring us pleasure. And, and there's nothing evil about many of those things, but the problem is when they, they capture our heart and they became, become the, the main thing that we pursue in our lives. 
We, we struggle to keep these things in their, their proper place. Like someone observed, the money God has placed under our management can potentially steal our hearts. Like there's something it's almost spiritual about money. And money can become a religion to some people. It's weird, but like, have you ever noticed that if you get something new, you feel like you're a better person? It's like you, you, you get, what are we on, iPhone 13 or something? It's like, I had the 11, now I have the 13. I'm a much more impressive person in this world. You put on new sneakers for the first time, you're walking around, you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty impressive, aren't I? Like, think about the things that we do. Like, why do we have this rush of endorphins when we open up the Amazon package? We, like, slice open the tape. And it's like, oh, I know what's in here. It's only, like, cereal and something, but wow, that's exciting. Why do we feel less than other people based on our possessions? It's like, I drive a 2013 Hyundai Elantra it's got a nice scratch along the front that someone in our family put along there. I'm not naming names, but like that, that's the car I, I drive. And it's like some guy drives up and he, he pulls up next to me in his BMW. And I'm just like, there's a guy who's made it. That's an important guy. I'm sitting down there in my, my little car, like butts barely off the ground in the thing. But here's the thing, we often accumulate earthly treasures because that's where we find our satisfaction, our, our significance, our security in them, other than God. Instead of us possessing control of our possessions, our possessions start to possess control of us. They control us. And Jesus is, is trying to get us to see that these earthly possessions that we're like obsessed with, they actually don't have much eternal value. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but everything that you own, everything, is the future stuff of a yard sale or a junkyard. And you're like, nah, not my grandma's heirloom. That's going to be in the family forever. No, some fool will come along. Just give it time. Proverbs talks about these people, and they're going to cash it in. They're going to pawn it for, for money. And so think about this. The phone that you paid $1,000 for like three years ago, it's hard to almost give those things away at times. Where is it right now? It's sitting in a drawer, probably. Your home, the, the thing that, man, like the amount of money we put into these things, especially now, give it time. Some guy will come along, he'll bulldoze it down, put up an apartment, he'll make his money. Your car, fancy new car, you, you park that like one kilometer away from the front door of the mall so nobody comes along, opens their door, bam, right into the side of it. Like you, you're like taking a, a, a break as you hike to the front, also that your car will be preserved. But just give it time. Your children will, will destroy it. They'll <laughs> spill their juice or their graham crackers or your goldfish in it. Your wife might like take one of your vehicles and back into your other vehicle with it as well. Um, it's like, as much as we try and protect these things, again, future things of yard sales and landfills. And Jesus tries to help us understand that there's, there's something more permanent than the things that we see. And by telling us to store a treasure in heaven, Jesus is saying that what we do with our earthly wealth, that can have positive and eternal consequences, effects, Instead of dedicating what we have and dedicating our life to the pursuit of those things that are subject to decay and rust. And Jesus says we're in the business of changing people's forevers. 
And please understand, when we preach these sermons, it's not, we're, not like, we're not saying Jesus is after your money. We're saying Jesus is after your heart. He's after your heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so our attitude towards money reveals more about our heart more than almost anything else. And so if we're not taking what God has given us, and at least a, a, some of that, and putting it to work for God's kingdom, our heart isn't fully with Jesus. And I, I know that's a hard thing to say. We might not like it, but it's hard to refute. That, that, that our bank account statement, our credit card statement, that that's, reveals what we care about most. It really does. So just, just for yourself, like, think, if somebody were to look at your financial life, would they be able to say, you know what, their heart is in the kingdom? Or would it reveal that your, your heart is in cars and mortgages and social status and, and hobbies? And so giving financially to support kingdom work is one of the most basic, fundamental, down-to-earth ways of showing our commitment to God. So what does it look like to put what God has given us to work in 2022? I, I would put it this way. It would be this. It's working to grow God's kingdom, to build his kingdom, and not our own. It's using what God has given us, whether it's the money, the time, the gifts, anything, to make disciples so that they would be ready for his return. And so how do we, how do, we do this in our finances? Well, the first thing would be that, that God tells us to support the mission and work of the church. And Greg kind of covered this last week. Um, the tithe has been kind of a standard that God gave even before he gave the law. And if you're going to put a number on that, you go, it's 10%. But the tithe is also more than just 10%. It's, it's giving our first and our best to God. The first and best of what has been produced. And, and the good news is here, like I, I can tell us we're all tithers. Every one of us tithes. The question is where we put our first and our best. And tithing, it's, it's a thing of faith. It's a thing of, of trust. Like, think about this. God, God tells the Israelites, you are to give the first and the best of, 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 of your animals or your, your crops. I mean, consider this. Like, you're doing this at the beginning of the season, maybe. It's like, I don't know how the rest of the season's going to play out. I don't know if Molly the sheep is going to have many more good years of producing lambs. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what next season looks like. But as we bring, they bring this to God, this is an act of faith and trust. And make no mistake, there's a connection between our faith and our finances. Like every one of us here, I think we would, we would go, Jesus is, is, is worthy of it all. We would all agree with that. But the question is, are we demonstrating that in the area of our finances? Or are we giving it God what's kind of left over? When we give God the first 10% of our paycheck or our income, it's saying, I trust that you're going to provide. I trust that you're going to use 90% to go further than 100% will. It's trusting that God is good to his word to take care of his people. It's an act of commitment. And the thing is, God doesn't like keep it for himself. He turns around and he gives it back to us to use it for mission and for ministry. Like we, we talked about, Rick talked about some of those things. So salvation that God gives us, it's, it's this free gift that we don't buy our salvation, we don't earn it. But at the same time, to take that message of salvation to the world, that often costs money. As, as Rico talked about there, in ways that we don't even often consider. 
And so when we give, it changes lives here and around the world. Now, that, was, that would be another area in which we can use this to support kingdom work, to support missions, that Jesus commanded us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and 12% of our budget goes towards this, and we hope to see it increase. But it supports missions like Lifeline and Heart for Home and Graceland Ministries and, and our food bank, and we could keep going about the ones, and these missions change lives. And so I'd encourage you to support missions and ministries and missionaries that are close to your heart. The next thing I would say is be generous in your hospitality with others. Like when we hear hospitality, we kind of think of Martha Stewart or Joanna Gaines. It's, it's not simply entertaining, though. Hospitality is about how we live our lives. It's willingly sharing your life and your home and your possessions with others. And it's not just family and friends. It often can be people that we, we might disagree with on things. And hospitality is one of the most effective tools that we have when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission. So we say, have enough margin in your financial life to be able to be generous and welcoming. Have people into your home, take them out for meals, provide or take them for coffee. Like open up your life to others because when we do this, we often find that God opens up opportunities to share the gospel with people. Finally, I would say be creative. Like in the parable, the master doesn't tell them how to use what he's given them what to do with his money. And so after we, we return to God, that, that tithe, the first and best, we have some room to be creative in our finances and how we use them. But I would say use it to, 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 to do kingdom work. It could be sponsoring a child, adopting a child. It could be filling Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. It could be giving to the food bank. It could be starting a business that is going to bless the kingdom, that's going to help people come to know God. And as God's people, please understand, we're not saying that wealth is a bad thing. Like if, if, you're, if you're wealthy, praise God, but just make sure that it's staying in its proper place. If we're wealthy, it means that God thinks that we can be trusted with it. And so use it to push back darkness. Use it to make Jesus known. It's, it's a temptation for us to think, though, like that we're the, the one talent person, that we have so little, there isn't much we can do that wouldn't make a difference, so why bother? And we excuse ourselves from putting God, um, what God has given us to work, and kind of go, the contribution I'd make with what I have is so small, so it's, it's not really something I have to think about. But in the parable, realize that the servant that is punished is the guy who would not try. The man who had one talent, he's not getting in trouble because he lost his talent. He's getting in trouble because he did nothing with it. He buried it. He wasted the opportunity. Had he tried something and lost it, I don't know. The, the, the master might not actually be upset with him. He'd be like, you tried. You tried. So this is a heart issue. It comes down to, is our heart in the kingdom? Are we putting what God has entrusted us to work or are we burying it? And for some of us, we have to realize that the master's money, what he's given us, we've taken it and we've buried it so far in earthly things that it's hard to access it for kingdom purposes. And so how do we begin to take what God has given us and put it to work? Well, here's some practical steps. I would say make it a matter of prayer. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And giving is, is this act that is personal, but is powerful in showing how God has led us. And so if you want to begin this, I would just say, ask God to give you a heart that, that is generous, that, that is faithful to him. I'd also say, understand that God is not a God of limited resources. Like think about it, God speaks and everything comes out of nothing. And so God's not going like, I'm a little hard up this month. Could you, could you spare me like a hundred bucks? That's not what he's doing. Again, he's after your heart. And we don't want to be unwise. We don't want to be foolish, but we often limit our giving to God based off what we think is possible. And we forget that God has promised that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. And God always has more. I would say give, just, just do it. Like give as if God is really in charge of everything that you have and all that you own. And, and you might have to start small. Like for some of us, you hear that number 10% and you're like, are you nuts? Like I'm, I'm throwing a 20 bucks in every like three weeks. That 10%, well, if you can't do 10%, if you can't start there, I would say start at 2% and make that grow over time. Work towards that number and beyond. Like examine where you are putting the master's money. Look at where your money goes. We're, we're not all called to sell everything that we have and, and give it to the church. We're not all called to take a vow of poverty and be miserable, but we are called to be faithful in what we have. And so I would say like, look at your life. Go, do I need the subscription to Spotify and YouTube music and Apple music and Sirius XM radio? Or maybe I can get by with one. Do, do I need kind of the, the, the fancy vacation every year? Can I scale it back, simplify a little? Do I need Starbucks every day on my way to work? Or can I start brewing coffee at home? Like the, the, there's your sacrifice for the kingdom. But look to see where you can free up more resources to support God's work and make sure he's being put first. None of this stuff that we accumulate here goes with us into eternity. And Pastor Bob Russell, he kind of compared it to the game of Monopoly. Like maybe you're one of the very few people in the history of the world who's actually finished a game of Monopoly. And you know what it's like? If you win, there's some satisfaction there because you, you look over your real estate empire and you, you have it all. You got homes and you got hotels and you got your utilities and your companies and you've got piles of cash, maybe more money than the bank. And you're going, look what I have done. But Bob Russell, he says, everybody else leaves the table and you're looking at your empire feeling pretty satisfied. But then you realize it's all going back into the box. You pack up the properties and the utilities and the cash and the homes and the hotels and it doesn't go with you into real life. And in the same way, we could succeed in this life but miss what is most important. Like, I want to leave you with this as I wrap up. What do you want to hear when you stand before Jesus? This parable is saying, what you hear in many ways is up to you. And if our heart is where we put our treasure, let's put our heart into God's kingdom by investing what he's given to us there to make disciples, to change lives, to grow his kingdom.